0: Hi, I'm Greg Mustreader, and this is my podcast on rationality, tech, and trends of development of human society. Today, here with me is James Ahern, a serial entrepreneur in the area of ad tech. Hi, James. Hey. Uh, ad tech is a promising area, and um, as far as I know, it's booming at the time. How come you entered it? Because uh, several years ago it wasn't as popular, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, in in our situation, we were sort of forced into ed tech. We had an, an offline face-to-face uh, language learning business based in Moscow. And um, we were trying to reduce the cost of learning, basically. And we were providing this to corporations. And the idea came about, look, why don't we try and replace everything we're doing offline and put it online? Um, we thought it was going to be really easy just basically taking a lesson and putting it online but we we worked out it was a very difficult transition because you're having to completely think in a different way offline and online the very different worlds so it was yeah the main reason was necessity we wanted to to bring a better service to our clients and i guess the second reason was it was very difficult to find good teachers in based in russia um, especially native speakers. You taught English language. Right? Yeah, exactly. Only English, and um, yeah, it was pr- it was problematic. It was at that time, 2014, 2015, when Krim, Krim happened, and yeah, uh, Crimea, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 Crimea, our favorite topic, and um, yeah, a lot of teachers left actually because the ruble devalued suddenly. You know, the, the 4,000 rubles per lesson rate was terrible in, in pounds or in in. in it felt like twice.
0: Yeah, Something it, was, like it was
1: very bad. Um, and yeah, so we, we had problems trying to find people based in Russia. So we basically, we were sort of forced to move to an online model, but we were thinking about it for a while. It's it's a logical step, especially as we're now in coronavirus yeah. <laughs> situation. You are
0: really in the most, I think, booming market at the time, because everybody's yeah. doing something remotely. Exactly. Self-isolation.
1: Uh, yeah. self like, Perfect time to learn English. Um, <laughs> it's yeah and and I, and I hope actually this experience although it is terrible the coronavirus and and um there are people literally dying yeah um but i hope people who are now working remotely who can remote w- work remotely can understand that this is actually a way we can work in the future and i don't know i think the world of offices might be defunct in some in some time soon
0: so you think that uh after this
1: uh pandemia, more people will start working remotely? I hope so. I think it's, I mean, we've been working remote with our team now for over three years. Even though we're all located in Moscow, we actually work remotely. We meet up just once a week. We decide what what to do for the week. Um, and the rest of the time is it's done online. It, it requires a lot of trust. Um, it requires, you know, really structured way of of of, um actually working and making it very obvious to your to employees like what we need to do um but it's a great it's a great way to work it allows for flexibility So, yeah, I I hope people can see that this is a viable option in the future.
0: Many people say that the problem with uh, remote work is that you do not have the discipline, the structure, the control. When you go to your office every day at uh, like, let's say, 9 a.m., you have this. And if you stay at home, you can be slacking off, something like that. Don't you
1: think like this? Not at all. I mean, it takes a bit of time to get used to, but I mean, my our business and anyone in edtech knows that really the best way of learning is to create a habit. So you're constantly trying to create habits. And if we need to work from home or we want to work from home, you need to create the environment for this habit to actually to work properly. Um, how exactly well I mean if we take our business for example we are changing the way uh, people learn traditionally people are learning twice a week with a teacher it might be offline or online Um, I know for example Sky Inc is one one of the most successful projects in 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 Russia it's the biggest
0: I think ed tech startup in continental Europe
1: it's a phenomenal business but they're they,
0: they they teach English uh, remotely to people for those that don't. Correct. Know.
1: Yeah. They um are they're, they're big players on the market now, and they but they're still stuck in the the one, two, two lessons per week, um, yeah. sort of uh, methodology of learning, and I think that needs to change, and that's what we're doing. We we take away that once or twice a week to every day. And every we, day? Every single day, but we deliver it in micro format, straight into Telegram or WhatsApp, like straight into your messaging services. How does it work? So we work with a mixture of using bots and, um, and non-bots as in real humans. Um, very simply every day, uh, a student will get a personalized number of tasks, typically three, and their job in that day is to, fi- is t- is to actually complete those tasks. We receive the results, we see where the weaknesses in language are over time, and then we make little changes to their learning path based on this. So it's like ultra-personalized. It's also very personal because we're so used to messaging apps. I mean, you're, on, you're very big on Telegram, I know, mm-hmm. with your channels. Um, it's where we're spending a lot of our time. So why not put learning in the same place where you're spending time? Why, why create a separate app when everything can be in one place? Well, that makes sense. And uh, who are your clients? So at the moment, so we launched this project in uh, this particular one in November 2019. So several months ago, we work with like pretty famous um, top executives and, and Russian personalities. It's the a Go,
0: Go Say project, right?
1: Yeah, th- mm-hmm. this particular project is called Lobsters. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a part of Go Say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've created many products in EdTech and this is our latest product. And it's aimed at the the busy person, the people who don't mm-hmm. have a lot of time. You know, they can't commit to 90 minutes for a lesson twice a week. It's the way we now work. Things are done very quickly. Changes are constantly made, especially in Russia. I don't know what it is, but in Russia, um, <laughs> a lot of cancellations happen as a result of changing timetables. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a Russian thing, but in the UK, it's not like that. <laughs> People tend to stick to the timetable closer, but it's fine. Like I understand, things change. Like I'm in a startup. Like things change constantly. Um, so we're we're a service for those types of people, people who are really busy, very need need more flexibility, but they still need to learn. So we we change, we're changing this weekly model of learning to daily. Well mm-hmm. that sounds interesting and, I, and I, as far as
0: I know uh, if you learn something on a daily basis it is much more effective than if you just once a week or twice a week uh, open the
1: textbook then forget about it until the next week. Correct yeah it's um, spaced repetition. F- exactly uh, it's spaced repetition and we use that in our product. Um, it's, progress is going to be much faster and it is much faster Because you're in contact the language every single day it's not like okay on thursday and sunday i have my lesson the rest of the week five days you're not speaking in english at all or learning english or having any contact with english so we we're trying to change that to make it every day why russia oh i'm i'm uh, sure most of your uh, (laughs) friends are asking you this (laughs) i get i get asked this question a lot yeah (laughs) I'm honestly I'm here sort of by accident. I so wasn't, you're from the UK. Yeah, I'm 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 a Londoner. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, from Southwest London. Um, I I I'm here by accident. I wasn't meant to be in Russia. And what happened was I was at university um, in the UK. I was actually studying Chinese with economics at university. It was my specialisation. But I, uh, I I fucked up my uh, Chinese oral exam really badly. <laughs> <laughs> it just wasn't. Chinese language just wasn't for me. Anyway, I, uh, I had like two days to find a new a new subject. Mm. So the university was like, you've got to go find something else. And at university, we had this enormous corridor. Like, it's, it's apparently the longest corridor in Europe. And anyway, you've got all the departments down this corridor. And I uh, basically, it was August. There was hardly anyone around. I was knocking on doors. <laughs> <like wondering, laughs> what am I going to do? Anyway, I knock on one door and the door opens, and it's this um, wonderful woman called um, Natalia bogoslavskaya and I know nothing about Russia, nothing about Russian at the time and she 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 invited me in um, and she she gave me some tea from samovar. I was like, what is a samovar <laughs> uh, to those to those uh, users who oh, sorry your audience who don't know what a samovar is It's like this massive I don't even know how to explain it. This massive kettle um, <laughs> that, that's used in Russia. And yes, yeah, so anyway, she, she poured me in this tea and then she gave me cake. She basically bribed me. It was a, it was a great bribe. <laughs> and she, uh, she convinced me to learn Russian. And, uh, and then I spent one year in MGU. I had uh, in, in Moscow State University. Um, and I hated Russia to begin with. Oh. I thought it was like the worst place on the planet for the first like three to four months and then and then i don 't know what happened i I got used to the language, I made Russian friends, I got to speak to real people, and I began to really love uh, love Russia anyway, I went back to the u k and I graduated, and I was like, "What am I going to do after after university you know like what 's the plan So I got a a tourist visa to Russia for thirty days, and I was like i 'll go to Russia for thirty days, and let 's see if I get a job." <laughs> So anyway, I um, I came to Russia. I got a job on like day 20. Um, and what kind of job? So I was doing all sorts of... I was working in a bank at the time, which uh, I could never imagine myself doing today. But I worked in a bank. Um, it's uh, Morgan Stanley. It's a uh. US bank. Um, and then I moved from there and I worked for an Italian bank uh, called General Invest. Anyway, and then I... Did random projects. I worked with a company called Apostle Media, uh, which was a very interesting um, experience. And then uh, working these companies, I realized everyone's English is quite shit, so let's try and improve it. And so I did some part-time teaching, and I had some really cool clients. Um, I was just freelancing, and I was like, look, let's just create a school. So I I went to... uh, the tax office and I registered the company or oh, oh, oh. um, it was a nightmare, uh, a lot of bureaucracy. And yeah, that's when the world of doing my own business started really back in t- 20, 2014. And you have a Russian wife. Uh, not a wife, uh, not a girlfriend. wife, girlfriend, yeah, we've, we've lived together now for many years. She She's from Lubrizia. She's um, yeah real. For,
0: for those of you who don't know, this is like <laughs> the scariest place in Moscow city. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a great story. Uh, many 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 fantastic uh, stories begin by accident, like like yes. Yeah, absolutely with a, with a samovar and uh, strolling around the corridor.
1: Exactly, exactly. And here I am. I'm still here. Eight years. Eight years of, of Russia. Um, How do you find it? Um I find it uh, a very intense place, but in a in a good way. Um it constantly challenges you. It's a very interesting place to live as a foreigner. Um I you see, I don't see myself as an expat. Like there is this word expat yeah. and yeah, if you look in the dictionary, uh the Oxford dictionary will say expatriated someone who's from another country but lives abroad basically so i technically am an expat but in reality expats tend to be people who work in big companies they get sent over like shell or yeah, BP, like, like
0: banks or or big oil banks and gas, big yeah. oil
1: gas company or they're working like kpmg or mm-hmm. you know these big big companies and the thing is of expats is that you live in this cocooned world yeah. uh you know you live yeah. in in Patriki, which is like a really really nice area of moscow or Kropotkinskaya or some but you don't go out anywhere else you stay in that circle you speak to other expats it's not a real experience i i'm so even though people say i'm an expat i'm not really i don't see myself as an expat i'm just an immigrant i'm an economic immigrant hmm. that's how i see myself um it's it's a different it's a different kind of lifestyle uh, name uh, three differences between
0: the life of an expat and the uh, life of an economic immigrant in Russia. <laughs> so expats, okay, they live in prestigious uh, areas of Moscow where their companies rent for them luxurious apartments. Yeah.
1: What else? You're, you tend to hang out with people who are like you. So, your fellow partners and KPMG or your fellow mm-hmm. uh, expats who and there's a community and I sometimes do join i play football i I, I meet them they're great guys um and what else you know they they don 't see the real russia that's that's the main difference for me mm-hmm. um, and of course, they get a salary every month, which is pre predetermined, and they know they're going to leave in two years, so or three years that's typically what happens. I've come here or an economic immigrant comes here and you've got to try and make money as quickly as possible. Um, you've got to settle, set down some roots. Um, you're looking much longer term, not short term. Um, and yeah, you, you end up living in places like Lubitsy uh, or outside Moscow and you, you see how, how the real Russia actually works. It gives you a much wider view, viewpoint of this country.
0: What's your social circle like here?
1: Uh, It's pretty mixed. Um, My business partner is actually British. He's a British guy. Um, But all of our employees are Russian. But yeah, social side, it's it's mainly Russian. I haven't come here to make a lot of friends with other British guys. There aren't any here anymore anyway. Mm. (laughs) A lot of them have gone. Um, Of course, I've got British friends and, and Italian friends and French friends. Um, but yeah, most of, if you, you know, come to a party at my, my flat, it's going to be mainly Russian, 80% Russian. Yeah. Different social circles, as in you've got a mix from people from Lubitsy up to people who are living in Patryki. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, so it's, uh, yeah. It's it's a mix. It's a nice mix. It, uh, it's like what, what's the analogy with London? It's like
0: East London uh, uh, boroughs. I guess uh, with... yeah. For
1: people who uh, are from London, it's like it's like the 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 difference between a place called Staines. And Chelsea, Chelsea, che- Chel- yeah. Chelsea is like, like Patricky. Yeah, Chelsea is like Patricky. Uh, you try not to leave the area ever. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, Staines is just outside London. It's. Uh, I mean, I haven't been to Staines for many years, but it's. It's not great. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Like, like, like almost like a ghetto in some. Yeah, in some way. yeah.
1: yeah I, I try to be careful of the word ghetto, but um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's. Um, it's not a great. You yeah. know, you you would want to try and move away from stains <laughs> rather than trying to live there. Well, uh I, I'm sure many of our
0: foreign uh, viewers uh, would love to learn your first-hand experience about uh, how to live in a foreign country and as uh, a country as foreign and as strange for many Western people as Russia. What do you? need to to know uh
1: the language helps uh what's your level of russian Russian, it's pretty it's pretty advanced Mm -hmm. i've had a lot of practice um i feel very comfortable in the language but for a lot of i mean english people are quite ignorant we think english is the best language in the world i mean it's a very good language yes it is (laughs) (laughs) um and a lot of english people don't learn languages but Anyway, if, if you're talking about advice, yeah, you if you really want to get to know a culture and a country, you should try and learn that language. Um, try and avoid expat circles because you'll be doing the same thing that you do in London over here. It's the same thing. Um, what else? I mean, I don't know, really. Just get stuck in. Like, there's, there's no other way. You have to... It's a challenge. You've got to get you got to get out there and meet people. What, 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 what,
0: how do you do this? Because you know now nobody at first. Yeah, no, no one. Yeah. Where do you meet people? What do you do? Like, you're well, a foreign guy with.
1: Uh, at first, you didn't uh, speak Russian very well, right? Yeah, terrible. Yeah, yeah. awful. Yeah, exactly. You, in my experience. Um, the best friend is alcohol and uh (laughs) i've actually not been drinking for the last six months and it's painful but um yeah alcohol was a way to meet people (laughs) going to a bar going to um you know nightclubs or whatever um is a good place to meet new people um and just getting involved in business. I mean, most of my contacts have f- via business, you know, providing them a service and they found out about me suddenly, you know, it takes time, it grows and grows and that's it really. I mean, it's nothing really that special. It's just, you've got to, you've got to be proactive. Mm-hmm. That's it. You can't sit at home. Agreed. Uh, what's the Russian,
0: typical Russian attitude towards a foreigner? who speaks poor Russian and uh, just drinks <laughs> in a bar and uh, tells you something. Because I'm sure many people have the stereotype that Russians are really hostile and uh, yeah. <laughs> they don't like foreigners, stuff like this.
1: Yeah, um, Russians have always been very nice to me from day one. I've never had touch wood, never had any problems with, I shouldn't be touching things at the moment. Um. I've never had problems with Russians. Um, they 've always been very, very kind to me in fact i there is this thing of double standards i have so like if I go to the doctor, um I for some reason will be taken to the front of the queue, and it 's really bad um but i don 't know what to do about that it's uh I will sometimes for example, in public hospitals, yeah, public hospitals, yeah they 'd be like oh the British guys here, we must help him. But mm. it's, I feel really awkward because, <laughs> like, there are people in a much worse condition than me and they like push me ahead. Um, once a year, I have to go and get checked for HIV, um, for my visa, right? Yeah, I've got a work visa, and uh, you have to go and see a, a mix of doctors, they like check you, and you go to this psychiatrist, and there's a psychiatrist there, you walk in um and they look at you and um if i can just say it in russian because it's like uh they, they look at you and they just say not my boy? and which in, in are english you, is, are you okay? yeah is, is everything okay in your head like are you all right you, in other words are you not mad and i'm like i'm absolutely fine they look at you and then they're like so where are you from again i'm like oh from from england and, they're like, and they get that stamp and they're like yeah fine he's absolutely fine Whereas there are people in the same queue who are like from Uzbekistan, Tajikistan same. I mean, and they will be in the psychiatrist room for like 10, 15 minutes. And it's really unfair. And that's unfortunately yeah. how, how uh, a lot of things work over here. And so to answer your, your initial question, yeah, Russians are very nice to me, but sometimes I think they're too nice to me. Um, because they disregard some other people, but whatever. I <laughs> it's difficult for me to complain. Yeah, discrimination um, yeah,
0: it it still exists, unfortunately, towards uh, what you uh, what you mentioned uh, the uh, the guys, the immigrants from uh, Asia, from poor, Central Asia, poor yeah. Central Asian countries. Yeah,
1: it's the same thing when I tell people I'm not an expat, I'm I'm an economic immigrant. They say no, 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 no. You're not from Central Asia, mm. and like they are economic yeah, immigrants. they're economic so they taxi
0: drivers.
1: Exactly. You know, or, yeah, the taxi taxiderm- Exactly. Builders. They're doing remont, the renovations in your flat. Uh, yeah. Okay. They do a lot of those jobs, but they're doing important jobs as well. Absolutely. Uh, tell me about your
0: startupper life. Yeah. It, <laughs> um, so, it must be unpredictable yeah it's
1: it's very unpredictable startup life is about making a lot of mistakes and the most important thing is learning from those mistakes it it's probably sounds like a cliche but that's really how it is what was your biggest mistake oh um, i want a fuck up story (laughs) (laughs) some major fuck ups i mean there are too many um i think one of the biggest mistakes we ever made was um there's something called big dealitis. It's like a, it's a condition where you think you've secured a really big deal. So you've, 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 you've built your products and uh, you think you've got this massive deal, uh, which we had. Um, and <laughs> all you think about is this one big client and you put all your eggs in this one basket. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's a terrible, terrible strategy because, you have no actual guarantees from this client. They're going to buy it um, uh, in the end. They did actually buy it, but it was a lot later down the line, but it's, it's something called big delight don't get focused on these big clients. Just focus on the, the, the end user making a great product. Um, that's all that matters really, especially at the start, but there, yeah, I mean, we've had falling out with, we had a CTO. We unfortunately had a bad uh, experience. Um, we had a bad experience with an accountant. Uh, <laughs> did, did, did he steal anything? <laughs> uh, she, yeah, unfortunately. And um, it was not a nice situation. Mm. A lot of stress. Yeah. Start, startup life is, is like that. It's up and down, up and down. But over time, you begin to understand what you need to do. Um, and then I think the biggest problem in startups is working with people who have a lot of pride um, people who, and, and we were like this as well. Like, you know, we think we know everything and that's how we're gonna work and having absolutely zero flexibility on on um, uh, decision-making and just being really like, yeah, you gotta do it like this and working with those types of people. Basically, it's, uh, it's very toxic in the working environment uh, when people have a lot of pride They're very proud of their idea, they came up with the idea, and that means they're refusing to even accept another point of opinion. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, I think many uh, startup founders are really like that. Yeah, probably, which is why
0: we make a little (laughs) mistakes. This is a part of being a startup founder, you are stubborn, you are proud of your idea. You Absolutely. love it. You, yeah, I'm the best you do yeah. this 24 seven. You don't yeah. sleep. You don't eat. Yeah. 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 You exactly. Sleep on the floor. <laughs> in <Lüberti. laughs>
1: Exactly. And this is what happens. <laughs> so you have to go through these tough lessons and everyone makes them. And even if people who are listening to this are going to do startup, they'll do this. I'm 99% certain they'll make the same mistake. But again, you only learn by making mistakes.
0: Uh, I know that you have also a theatrical business in London. <laughs> I was really yeah. surprised because uh, like a startup founder, uh, who has moved from London to Russia, which is kind of weird for some people, and who has a theatrical business, which is even, even less uh, uh, expected. Yeah, tell me about
1: um, it. I guess I have a close relationship with theatre and music as well. Um, it's not a full-time job for me. It's uh, it's, it's purely a hobby. Um, I think theatre is an interesting medium because it's one of the few places you go to, and you're not looking at your phone. You're basically concentrated on this one-dimensional yeah. thing that's happening and for a lot of people that's a real challenge so it must be really engaging so yeah i set up a theater company uh, many years ago when i was at university with a friend he continues to run the uh the business it's called proud haddock production that's right yeah proud haddock and we do about two productions a year yeah unfortunately we had to cancel our latest productions because of the virus. the virus yeah yeah and um but the- theater is a difficult world it's there's no money in it really it's very expensive even in london
0: yeah yeah yeah. yeah. I, I thought no. that it's uh in london many many tourists who come there go to the theater i personally when yeah. i uh, come to london i try to to go to at least one theater yeah one theatrical performance
1: it's it's a fun it's uh, uh, uh and i do the same in moscow and it's i love theater but it's just not profit i mean okay if you're andrew lloyd webber yeah, uh, you're profitable because yeah. you're you've created a very scalable model. Yeah, a brand, exactly, and that's across the world. But that's a slightly different type of theatre. It's musicals. It's it's easier to to sort of replicate, whereas we're more about classical theatre, and uh, it's a lot more difficult to replicate. And yeah, most of these theatres are run by patrons. They're wealthy people who are who are giving money to the theatre, um, and. That's how it works. I, I don't know if it's the same in Moscow. I think the state helps really. Uh, the state helps, really yeah. Much. We have a Ministry of
0: Culture, Yeah. Uh, which uh, provides uh, some donations, some grants to yeah. selected theatres. It is, uh, I think, uh, sometimes unfair and corrupt, but, it, but still, with these uh, financial... Uh, Uh, means with the financial aid due to it many theaters can subsist otherwise they wouldn't be able to
1: sure yeah well that's very good in the uk unfortunately that's not the case there are grants but they're very small the rents in london for theater space are huge yeah that's what you spend most of your money on um but you know it's culture it's art it's not meant to be profitable in my opinion it's it's something for people to enjoy. If it's profitable, great. But it's not the main goal. Yeah, maybe, maybe, m- maybe
0: uh, there is another point of view. Yeah. If people are not willing to pay for it, then it's not uh, good enough. It should not exist. Some, <laughs> yeah. Some other people say like this.
1: Yeah, and there are a lot of really bad production productions <laughs> going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a different different point of view. Yeah.
0: So it depends on how we, how you look at this. By the way, what do you think about Russian theatre? How how does it uh, compare with?
1: So I've been I've uh, recently I've been going a lot uh, to Gogol uh, theatre, mm-hmm. and honestly, it's some of the best theatre I've ever seen. Compared to I mean, I'm, I'm taking into consideration uh, UK London theatre and New York as well, where I've been. Um, I think. I think well i think in general russia is a place full of talent absolutely everywhere um and a lot of foreigners don't realize this um and the same goes for theater Th- that's some really creative work is happening and yeah i know you have ministry of culture who might on, insist on certain narrative in in some ways from a political point of view but that doesn't really matter here it's the execution, the creativity behind what's going on is, is excellent. I've been to some bad theater in Moscow. Mm-hmm. Of course it's normal, yeah, sure. but, um, yeah, to, to, to foreigners, Gogol, Gogol theater is the best I've been to so far. Mm-hmm. Of course, you've got ballet, which is the greatest Russian export apart from oil, gas, and, uh, <laughs> and weapons. Um, <laughs> and beautiful women. <laughs> and beautiful women. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Ballet is, is absolutely incredible. Well, uh, I was
0: recently surprised to find out that in Moscow there are more theaters than cinemas. So I think yeah, not, not, many, not many cities can boast that.
1: Yeah, that's, that is really interesting. Yeah. Um,
0: so the, the the theatrical industry is traditionally really developed. Of course, many yeah. bad theaters, many good theaters. Of course, and yeah, it, it's like like everywhere like that. But the theatrical schools, many of those were born yeah. in uh, in a Moscow, like Stanislavski or Chekhov. Uh, you know, yeah,
1: yeah it's uh, exactly and I mean, uh,
0: Mikhail Chekhov invented a school of theater. Exactly school. and.
1: Um, in, in London, we are obsessed with Chekhov. It's number two after Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. We're obsessed with it. We just think Chekhov is, is the guy, you know. <laughs> mm. And he is. He's phenomenal. The first books I read in Russian language, in, in actual Russian, w- was Chekhov. He writes in a really beautiful and uncomplicated way compared to, for example, Dostoevsky, who's kind of crazy to read, but equally impressive, of course, but very different styles. I think Dostoevsky is quite popular abroad as well. Yeah, very popular. Yeah, but people, a lot of people say they they know Dostoevsky and they appreciate it, Um, but it's it. A lot of people do struggle with reading it. I mean, one of the really basic things. It sounds ridiculous, but um, in Russian, you have, for example, Mikhail. Um, which can shorten versions, Misha, um, and then you have uh, the patronymic as well, like uh, Mikhail Vladimirovich. Yeah, um, and it gets really confusing for people. So they have this in English books; they have this enormous list <laughs> at the front <laughs> explaining all of this stuff. So it's like you've already got to do some work before you can start reading classical Russian literature.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, that that makes sense. Well. Uh, at least uh, at least the Russian literature I think it should be more uh, comprehensible to the western reader than if we take like far eastern Absolutely, literature yeah. Absolutely. they're just like another world you have to yeah. have uh, even more uh, <laughs> footnotes to, <laughs> yeah, to yeah, understand yeah. everything at least until uh, the revolution Russia used to be part of the big european civilization and i think now it it, it it is already it is it it is as well with Absolutely. some ex- exceptions of course
1: of course yeah but yeah to me russia is europe um i know some people will will not agree with that but uh you know listen to russian music listen to or read russian literature watch russian film it's it to me it feels european obviously you have your own unique russianness which is what I love about Russia. But yeah, it's suddenly more European than it is Asian. What's the most uh, common uh,
0: arguments, debates uh, with your friends uh, back in
1: England about <laughs> Russia? Well, p- politics is, is is the big one. Um, that If you open up an English newspaper um, or read it online, 90% of Russian, maybe more 95% of articles about Russia are very negative and uh, there's a lot of criticism about Russian politics um, about Russian geopolitics, you know, what's happening in Syria, what's happening in Europe lots of conspiracy theories, it's, it's really boring to, to, to actually listen to because the problem is a lot of people then have a negative opinion about Russian people and think everyone's aggressive. Mm-hmm. Think um, you know, you want to grab territory around the world, you want to take the Baltic states back into Russia. <laughs> all these um all these types of things has a massive impact on the way Russians as people are perceived abroad. And I I try to change that, to be honest, because I just try and tell guys t- just don't you have you don't have to believe every word you read in the newspapers. Um Russians are great people They're, you know, and I have countless examples of, of how, how, uh, you know, kindness, Russians and, and the way they work. And yeah, it's different, but they're, you know, they're fantastic people,
0: but so. the government, uh, still, uh, does some
1: questionable things. Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they do. And, um, you know it's it's not my place as a foreigner in in Russia hmm. to to make um sure you can have opinions but it's not my place to have any influence on the way things are run over here it's um it's very interesting how russians do things and um Yeah, it's a difficult, it's a difficult topic and we could go like really deep into it, but I don't know how much time we We, have. We
0: would need a bottle of vodka (laughs) for that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Russians love speaking about politics uh, in their kitchens late at night. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I know. And I've I've been a part of that conversation
1: (laughs) uh, many times. I mean, the biggest thing at the moment is obviously the whole constitutional change that's happening in Russia. I don't know what your opinion is um, My opinion is that uh,
0: Putin has usurped power and will will rule us even for like more than uh, than he already had so it,
1: this is really sad, and there is no rule of law in Russia unfortunately. I mean, I, I think it's time to just call it a monarchy. It would be a lot easier and um, more understandable to a lot of people um, because it essentially operates like this. Yeah, essentially uh, it is. Like uh, and it's not... To, I mean, but it's
0: not constitutional monarchies. <laughs> no, no. It's, <laughs> it's not, not cons- absolute, of course, but it's <laughs> something in between.
1: Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird mix. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a difficult topic. And yeah, it requires a bottle of good vodka <laughs> and seljotka or something. So, Herring to I mean, yeah. those uh, foreigners. <laughs>
0: okay. Let's come back to ed tech. Uh, yeah. What do you think about the development of this uh, industry? How will it look like in 10 years from
1: now? It's a very good question. Um, I mean, ultimately, I think education as a whole is really broken. And we are taught from a young age um to basically pass exams, and that's unfortunately the goal of learning and ultimately, you're taught how to hack the system um, yeah. because every every exam, every test can be hacked, and you know if you If you just take an example, you know, if you want to um, learn about, um, I don't know, Soviet history, for example, Soviet Union, right? Um, You know, if you're thinking rationally and normally, you would go away and you would read, like, the best books about Soviet Union. You would uh, try and get different opinions from Russian and UK, US, whatever, mixture of opinions. Um, And that's how you would you you should do an exam, right? But we all know that an exam is easily hacked and what teachers teach you is how to pass that exam. So you'll only focus on some narrow part of that history mm-hmm. and you'll look at all the past papers, what happened in the last five years, which questions came up and the teachers just give you a list of questions. And it's like, oh, well that one came up last year. So we should probably just spend more time learning about that thing. So the whole thing is is completely fucked, in my opinion. Um, and the same goes to university, you know. And and what we see with other startups um, is, you know, you've got people starting a startup and they're saying, "How do I win? How do I win at a startup?" You know, and people are really impressed with, "Oh, I raised uh, a seed round at two million dollar valuation, or I raised ten million dollars." And you're just thinking that's not the god that's not how it works it's um i think startup it, the startup world is very brutal it's it's you it can't is. hack it you can't you can hack it maybe for some time but ultimately you can't because at the end of the day it's, a user, uh, customer, should buy your product. Yeah, you can hack it, like Elizabeth
0: Holmes uh, showed us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. re- the re- read the bad blood, if you if you haven't. <laughs> yeah, that was that was impressive. But yeah, ultimately, you need to track yeah. the user. So, so what's your conclusion uh, regarding the ad tech? Uh, so, so yeah. So the system
1: is fucked. What what to do? Yeah. So, I mean, we're in language ad tech, which is which is slightly different, but you know, it's the same thing. If you're going to do ielts or mm-hmm. you're going to do. Uh, TOEFL or whatever it's um, it's not it's a hacked system like you're not if you get seven or eight in IELTS which is a very high mark it doesn't mean you're really good at English it means you've you've done really well in the exam Um, and yeah sure there are some people who are very good at English and, and get those results but if you're going back to the example of Soviet history What's you've got to ask us a question, how do you then measure how good someone, or how well someone knows the subject? And there's no perfect answer to this, um, but if you made it a conversation between the professor or the teacher and student for half an hour, you're going to have, as a professor, you're going to have a very good idea of how well this person understands the topic. And I think that would be far, far more effective than having... Pre-prepared questions, uh, exams, hackable tests, um, because it would give you a much more accurate picture. So the way we think do things in education, we we yeah we do sort of tests, but um, we're not giving grades. It's not we're not about grades. We're just about look where where are the problem areas. Let's fix them. Let's get better. Let's increase fluency, and that's where i think education should be going and of course personalization education is the most important thing um, that's what you do exactly it's uh, that's the if you're talking about 5 10 years down the line yes ai will have a huge impact on how this works but every person's um educational sort of learning path should be personalized people learn at different different speeds they learn um Some people are slow learners, some people fast, some people learn better with imagery, some people learn better by writing. You know, it's got to be more personalized.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Don't you think that you will uh, be moved out of business because the AI will be so capable in, uh, let's say, 10 years that there will be no need to to learn foreign languages because... uh, already we have some apps that translate stuff uh, if you take a picture uh, and of some foreign text and they automatically translate it or if you wear like google glass or some uh, some wearables they help you translate on the go maybe in your headphones uh, they, they tell you what to say in foreign language and every year it's getting better and better and some deep learning helps uh, these programs uh, Become even sometimes not uh, not much worse as uh, than uh, human interpreters.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I've, AI is the biggest threat to our business and to any other. Well, a whole load of other businesses. Legal, legal yeah. world. Um, obviously, accountancy is pretty much already automated. Um, yeah. Of course, it's 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 a threat, and and the biggest threat to us would be to have the equivalent of a a AI human bot, someone who you and I can talk to right now in the same way we're speaking, has absolute 100% understanding of what you're saying um, and can simultaneously translate everything you're doing. And yeah, that scares, that's scary. It's scary because people um, won't be using their brains as much. And Mm -hmm. people, I, I fear that people will become more stupid as a result. Uh, to look at it in a really simple way. Um, I, I believe in AI. I think AI is great as a tool to help people learn better. Um, for example, we w- we are looking at, you know, how can we create, recreate a teacher who can just speak to you anytime, 24-7, um, someone to have a chat with to improve your language. That would be really cool and mm-hmm. really, really useful and reduce the, the cost of learning. But... Um, ultimately yeah those translators are getting better um but there still is a lot more to do so you still have some time <laughs> i i mean i don't like to make predictions but 20 years maybe i think before we get something really close like seriously close to to a proper human that's not my actual opinion it's from other experts, other experts yeah. in the in the in the field so yeah, we're trying to get an exit as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, so we
0: have, we still have some time before singularity hits us all. <laughs> as many experts say, I would probably argue about whether all those technologies make uh, or do not make humans uh, more stupid. Because mm, you could say that uh, technologies have already improved our lives in many respects. We have... Uh, stopped doing some things that we used to do like we 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 don't produce we don't make fire for example yeah we have matches Uh, (laughs) uh, are we more stupid because of that I'm I'm not sure but uh, I I think uh, that's the valid point that you raised unfortunately we're running out of time so I'd like you to give us uh, one uh, final uh, piece of advice for those who want to enter ad tech who want to start a business in this area what would you recommend what would you be beware of
1: uh, um, Of course you have to be super aware of AI that's you got to think which processes in education can be automated and which ones can't and really concentrate on nailing those automated processes and to, to, to massively personalize the way you learn, um, and just keep an eye on that on that AI side because that can destroy potentially destroy your business sometime down the line. But ultimately, the one advice is just make, make, make something that people want. <laughs> yeah, make something that people want. That's the, the ultimate piece of
0: advice for any startup founder and uh, you should think about it in the first place thank you James this has been must reader Uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel subscribe to my podcast on iTunes Spotify Google podcasts and other podcasting services wherever you would like to listen to this podcast or watch it in the video form on YouTube see you next week bye bye